Welcome to the Awakening Podcast Network. Get ready for an inspiring audio from this cutting-edge voice. You can find more podcasts at awakeningpodcasts.com. You want to go deeper? Get equipped to overcome and walk in God's purpose for your life at Awakening House of Prayer's online campus. You'll experience an online family, preaching, teaching, and prophetic impartation for victorious living. We have over a thousand members online hungry for what God is saying and doing in the earth. Visit ahop.online today and join our family. AHOP TV empowers believers with spirit-inspired messages and strategic equipping that accelerates your spiritual growth. You can subscribe to stream weekly content from Awakening House of Prayer, conferences, and other exclusive content to stir your hunger and encourage your heart. Visit us online at ahop.tv. So let's pray as we get into the subject today on the Discerner series on living in a glass house. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, for the capacity, the grace, the ability to be able to come into your presence, into the very throne room of God itself. And we are so grateful for such a time as this. We ask for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to be in us and upon us and upon these airwaves today, in Jesus' name. Well, a theme scripture for us today comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, where it reads, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You guys, you probably know the parable here about the two foundations, and There's something that's in common. It's winds and waves come upon every house. Oh, every house, every house. Winds and waves come upon every house. And then it says, but we all go through storms. Wait, I thought Christians were exempt to storms. Oh, well, reread what this teaching of Jesus says. It says, winds and waves come against every storm, but it's about the house that lasts. The fa- it's the issue of the foundation. If it's built upon the sand, the house will erode and, and be washed away. But if it's built upon the rock, the wise man, and then it's going to describe the wise man. They are not only those who hear the word, but who hear and act on. The wise man with the solid foundation hears the word, and isn't a hearer only, but a doer. Hears, and it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, that's a house that's built to last. You can be deceived if you are only hearing the word, but not bringing your action, your attitudes, and your character in obedience and to alignment with the truth of God's Word and the revelation you have received, like in your church community, in the movement, the stream, the apostolic network, or whatever it is that you're associated with. We each need community. Now, so there's an issue about a house. 
Well, my title is Living in a Glass House. I'm going to tell you a crazy story that I actually am not sure I have ever told public. But I have written about it in the Discerner book on the 11th chapter, Creating a Safe Place, Cultivating a Culture of Wisdom and Faith. And so this is lessons from my youth. I'm not sure you're ready for this, but I had a hamster. And it says right here, his name was Henry, okay? And so I was a scholastic kid that then excelled in music, the arts, math, science, all of it. You know, I graduated valedictorian in my class and had scholarships to at least four different universities when I graduated from high school. But I was a, I loved science. And so in my little bitty town of 259 people, I'd heard, seen on TV about this guy named Jacques Cousteau. And he was this underwater, uh, you know, sea, ocean developer and, and um, explorer. And I was fascinated with the whole thing about underwater living. You know, the population of the world is going to grow and where is man going to live? And let's go to the final frontier. But the final frontier was not outer space. The, fa- the final frontier was going to be the ocean. I was captivated by this as a kid. So in my junior year in high school, I decided I'm going to study about underwater living. I started coming up with concepts about permeable breathing uh, walls, that water could be on the outside, but the oxygen could pass through into the inside. And I was like, yeah, actually, I don't think this exists, but I've seen it. It's going to happen. So what happened is I had... A hamster. I had several hamsters, by the way. <laughs> if you have two, you're going to have a lot. Okay, that's another story for another day. But anyway, so I had a hamster. His name was Henry. And in what's called in science experiments, that's what this was. It was the science fair. And so my dad, being a carpenter running a lumber yard, helped me build a maze. And in a maze, it's very complex. It was wood. And then you have the starting place. And then you have the food at the end of the maze. So I'm going to run my hamster 21 days through the trial of the maze and clock it on how quick, what was its memory like, to then get to the food. Very simple. But then I was going to do it a second time. The second time... I can't remember if it was 21 days or only seven, but let's say it was going to be another 21 days. But I was going to experiment about memory. And I had a thesis that underwater living would not affect memory. So you guys, we could go, wait, who is this? Is this actually James Gall talking right now? We're used to prophetic stuff. He's telling a science story. Yes, it's still me. So here's what happened. We build the maze for the hamster. And then I built a glass house. Yes, I did. I even studied about certain kind of uh, glues to use. And so it was four sides of a house. It had a bottom of glass and it had a top. Inside this glass house, there was a little hamster treadmill. There was food 
there was water, and then there was a tube that shot oxygen down into the glass house. I then put Henry, after 21 days of going through the the hamster maze and clocking the time, I then put my hamster inside my glass house. And then guess what I did? I put the glass house down inside my aquarium. I loved fish, by the way. I had aquariums. Oh, my gosh. I could tell you stories about my guppies and my this and my that and, and all of this and I want to get another aquarium, by the way. I've just been thinking about it. It's like, oh, my gosh, that would be so fun. No. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be totally fun. And so, anyway, so it's like, yeah, so I build my glass house. I put Henry in my glass house. I then seal the ceiling on the glass house. I have the tube of air going in. I submerge Henry in, and now my fish are all swimming around, and Henry is just eyeballing these fish. I can see it right now, poor hamster. Oh, my gosh. You say, James, this has got nothing to do with the discerner or the prophet and living in a glass house. Yes, it does. Well, Henry was supposed to live in the glass house for seven days, and then after that, I was going to take him out, and then I was going to run him through the maze again and then clock the time, and my thesis was that an underwater living was living in a glass house was not going to affect emotionally, mentally, memory, health of the hamster. After all, it had food, it had water, it had light, it had air. Well, after about three days, Hamster Henry was not doing too well because I didn't take into account one key element. I didn't have an, I had an import of air, but I didn't have an export. I didn't, I don't even know how I could have done that. But anyway, but yeah, but I had air flowing in. And then, you know, the hamster's eating a little bit, and it's doing its stuff, and so there's stink, there's smell. Well, hamsters are used to that, and I just thought, well, it's all going to be okay. But the problem is, you know, there maybe was, you know, like uh, over-oxygenization, and then mixed with other stuff, and it was like, there was no outflow. Oh, that's a big lesson to learn. There was an inflow, and there was no outlet, do you know that a lot of people are that way who live in church? That a lot of people are that way who live in a glass house? They do. We do have a lot of input today. But is there any outlet? You know, the difference between the, you know, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee? The Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet. The Dead Sea... It's called dead, by the way. It's full of riches. It only has an inflow. It has no outflow. That's why there's no living creatures in the Dead Sea. Well, I created such a thing like that. I had an inflow of air. I had light. I had food. I had water. I even had the capacity for Henry to exercise. But there was no outflow. 
So instead of seven days, it was about day three, and Henry wasn't looking too good. So I took my glass house out of my, out of my aquarium, and I knew that I was going to win first prize at the science fair. I knew that I was going to win first in the state, and I just knew that I was going to be like on a national level, you know, of a research scientist. That's what I believed. That's what I was shooting for. I was shooting for, like, yes, I'm going to, like, make my mark in science. Because I actually thought, growing up as a kid, that I was going to be a NASA research biologist. Yes, I did. I wrote up the will and prophecy of the senior class. I was a part of writing it up. I was the one who was chosen from my high school class to read the senior will, what one person's going to leave to another. And I was going to, and I read, and it, it starts out, I, Jim W. Gall, recently received the letter from, I, Jim W. Gall, the head NASA research biologist. And when I'm reading this, I believed it. So that was the place I lived. I lived between music and the math and science. So, James, get on with it. I know, living in a glass house creating a safe house. So what happens? Henry didn't make it through seven days. I had to take him out at the end of three. I then tried to put him in the maze, except Henry wasn't all there. And Henry would like bump into this wall, bump into that one, and then he just rolled over and Henry was no more. Guess what? I didn't win anything at the science fair. I never made it to the national. I never made it to the state. I didn't make it to the district. And my science teacher was wondering if I was cruel to animals. (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes we don't develop safe places for people. And being a discerner, we need to have safe houses, don't we? And the church... The community of believers needs to be a safe place. But sometimes it has not been the safest place. But let's start with us, because we need to have input, but we also need to have output. We need to receive, but to be a wise person, we don't only are supposed to hear the word, we're to be a doer. And so when the winds and the waves and the storms come, then guess what? The house that's built on hearing and doing will last the storm. The house that's built on hearing only will not stand, but will be actually devastated by the storms. I have a burden within me for the prayer, the prophetic community, for those who just really long to can grow in discipleship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I long to see a safe place. You know, the problem with a glass house, I've often described like being asked questions about the prophetic, well, what was it really like? Well, said, well, it's like living in a public goldfish bowl. Everybody's looking in on you. They all have comments. Sometimes that's the way... It can be. But we need to develop a safe place. A glass house, yes, that's transparent, but it has input and output. 
Now, in my book, The Discerner, when I'm teaching about this and um, about this in the 11th chapter on uh, creating a safe place, I then take us to a few lessons, and I'm just going to mention creating a safe place. Strange illustration, right? But perhaps this youthful experience served me well for years to come. It seared me into a desire to search for the wisdom by which a safe house can be built. My concern became much broader, building a safe house for the body of Christ, a place that not only can protect us from death-dealing assaults, but where even our imperfect starts and failures can be transformed, a place that celebrates the faith to rise up and try again. A safe house includes practice. A safe house includes, there's no perfect start. A safe house, which you see, this is where small groups come in, folks. Because in small groups, that's where we practice the gifts of the Spirit. That's where we practice praying for one another. That's where we might practice doing a five-minute message. That's where we practice. So we need to develop safe zones. Perhaps you need to do that in your family. Is your family a safe place? Is your family have both, are you developing your family where it has input and outlet? So let's not only be hearers of the word, but let's be doers. And maybe you've got a funny story too from growing up, like Henry the Hamster. And me being the absent-minded professor who learned from the things that Henry suffered. Well, this is James Gall, and, and there's I just want to mention just a few little questions. And I could talk a whole lot more because on developing a safe house, it's a house, it's a house of honor. It's a house that's devoted to the word. It's a house of worship. It's a house of forgiveness. It's a house where people are given the place to try, to start. There's starting classes. There's starting groups. And then there's four classes to grow and advance and mature. So we need to develop a safe place and realize that God does not have a ruler slapping our hands, that he's rather our greatest coach and the greatest cheerleader that you will ever have. Well, one question that has come up is, are there false starts? Well, I often relate to it like a woman who's pregnant. And labor, okay? Now, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I was there four times, okay? And so... Labor. There's what's called Braxton Hicks. And Braxton Hicks are a form of tightness or contraction. Now, a mother, particularly if it's like the first child, they're going to think that that Braxton Hicks is maybe it's like, wow, this is labor setting in. And then it subsides. It goes away. It might come back two days later and go, well, this is it. Is that, but it wasn't. It's warm up. 
It's warm-up. And here's what I've always believed about labor. This is my take on labor. Everything counts. Every squeeze, every push, every point of pressure, every Braxton Hicks, they count. So is there such thing as a false start? Well, yes and no. What I want to encourage you is, is that it doesn't have to be a false start if you bring it back to God and you learn wisdom from it. And in that case, it's never a false start. It's simply wisdom lessons in becoming. Another question is, what if you have been burned in church, trying to step out? How do you move forward? Thank you. That is such a prevalent question for today. What if you've been burned? You know what? I have been. I've been shut down before. I've been accused. I have been rejected. And then some of it is that we get into a victim mindset ourselves. We put we end up allowing the enemy to put a magnifying glass to the situations and they get what? Blown out of proportion. They get taken out of context. So what if you have been burned? So let's just say whether it is true or it's how you feel and your feelings are real. So we have to deal with the feelings as they are real. That doesn't mean that they are speaking truth, but they are real. What if you've been burned? How do you move forward? Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness is always the place to start. We get God's forgiveness. But here and we have to forgive spiritual leaders. I've been tested in this. In fact, I might, some of you listening, I might have offended you at some point in time and you've had to forgive me. I hope not. But then if I have, I hope you have forgiven But you see, if you're called to leadership, you are going to be an imperfect leader. And then expectations by people, which can be unreal expectations, will never get fulfilled. So, what if you've been burned? So, if you've been burned, then we have to forgive. But I'm going to talk about forgiveness in three levels real quick. We have to ask God to forgive us. We have to forgive those who we feel abused us. This is about discerning. This is about living in a glass house. But the third thing, which I think is harder, forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself. You say, yeah, but it's not about, it's what they, you have to forgive yourself. So I'm saying that one is actually harder because when you get down to it, you got offended. You Maybe you did get hurt. Maybe you did get bruised, but you got offended. And so we have to forgive in all three ways. We ask God for forgiveness. We have to forgive our brother, our sister, our leader. And we have to forgive ourselves. And when we go that deep, our heart will be made new. And then you will be excited to get out of the cul-de-sac of yesterday and to get back out on the highway of life and roll the dice and try again. Well, this is James Gall telling 
a story in the discerner from my 11th chapter of the discerner book on living in a glass house, creating a safe place. I hope that this has ministered to you today. This has been a production of the Awakening Podcast Network. Jennifer LeClaire is the founder and owner of APN. Our heart is to inspire people and exalt Jesus with every broadcast. We're grateful for our advertisers and supporters that make these podcasts possible. 